0: Two stories today I suspect we've heard many times. The story of Zacchaeus and the parable of the talents. We've got the two of them together because in Luke's gospel they're actually placed directly one after the other. But this year being the year of Matthew, we have Matthew's version of the parable of the talents instead of Luke's. Before we get to the parable of the talents though... I'd like just to think a little bit about Zacchaeus and the image we have in our mind when we hear the story of Zacchaeus. I'm guessing that most of us immediately think of two things about Zacchaeus that he was a tax collector and that he was short. Those are the two things that everybody knows about Zacchaeus. He has to climb a tree to see Jesus. It was in the story, the children's story. It's in children's songs. We've known that since Sunday school, right? Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because Zacchaeus was a short man. You know, there's no indication in the language, either in Greek or in English, of which of the two men was short, Zacchaeus or Jesus it makes just as much linguistic or logical sense to say that Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus through the crowd because Jesus was a short man. We never tell the story like that. Zacchaeus is the shorty. Never Jesus. We'll come back to Zacchaeus Add questions of his height in a moment. but first one of Jesus' more troubling parables. Although the more I read Jesus' parables, the more I suspect that all of them are actually troubling. And that all of them are actually meant to be troubling. But the parable of the talent. We've heard this story lots of times before, and if the sermons that you've heard on the parable of the talents or anything like the sermons or youth group talks or the like that I've heard, they have dwelt on one basic moral. Use the gifts that you've been given for the good of the kingdom of God. I'm also guessing that normally when we've heard this story talked about, those words at the end, to all those who have, more will be given, but from those who have nothing even what they have will be taken away, have been left a little bit out on the edge, maybe ignored maybe rather unconvincingly uh, explained. And as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I wonder if we even recognize this part of the story. I've certainly never heard a preacher, at least outside of a sort of fire and brimstone tradition, I've never heard a preacher speak on that part of the text. And Matthew doesn't even have the words that Luke ends with, As for those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. A troubling parable. We skip over those bits to focus on the section that makes more sense. And I wonder if that might mean we miss something. I wonder if the reason that those words don't seem to fit into the parable is because we've actually got the story completely the wrong way around. Why do we identify the nobleman in the story with God? Why do we place The nobleman in the story, on the side, as it were, of the angels. In Luke's account, the nobleman starts by going to a distant country to try to get power for himself. And he ends up publicly slaughtering everyone who will not pay allegiance to him. Both Luke and Matthew record that the nobleman is accused and lives up to the accusation of being a harsh man. Taking what he doesn't deposit, reaping what he does not sow. That is, taking the work of another. Going to a field where someone else has done the work of preparing the soil and planting the seed and then reaping the benefits for himself. He even tells the servant, you should have deposited the money with the bank to earn interest, even though lending to earn interest is explicitly forbidden in the law of Moses. Which is particularly telling in Matthew's gospel. For as I've mentioned before, Matthew never portrays Jesus as breaking the Mosaic law. And then this nobleman declares that whoever has nothing, even the little they do have, will be taken away from them. Does that sound like Jesus? Does that sound like The God that Jesus declared. Doesn't it actually sound rather more like a description of the way that the kings and rulers and powerful people of the world actually behave? Those words from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken from them. They actually took me back, when I read them, to the story of the prophet Nathan and King David. When David had arranged for Uriah to be killed so that David could marry Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And the prophet Nathan came to David and told him a story, told him of a poor man who had just one possession, a baby kid, and a wealthy man, who, when a visitor arrived, didn't want to spend any of his own money on him, so took the kid from the poor man to entertain the guest. David condemns the wealthy man. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And Nathan replies, You are that man. From those who have nothing, even the little they have will be taken away. Sounds more like the rich man in that story to me. Than it sounds like the God who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sounds more like the way that kings of the world operate than the Jesus who proclaims good news to the poor, release to the captives. And it seems to me that this nobleman in Jesus' story, like David, the fault is just that, that they are behaving like the kings of the world. They are behaving like people who have power always seem to behave, expecting others to generate more wealth for them, taking what they do not sow, taking what isn't theirs from those who have less. So we go back to the story and where and when it was told. In Luke's account, Jesus tells this story, Luke says, because he was near Jerusalem and they were supposing that the kingdom of God would soon appear. Matthew places it in the middle of a section of teaching which is all about the reign of God and all about how the reign of God is going to be different from what they're expecting. In both Gospels, the story is placed in the context of trying to change the way that Jesus' followers understand God's reign and understand the kingdom that Jesus has come to proclaim. So it all makes me wonder whether this might not be a story in which the nobleman is an allegory for Jesus. But actually a picture of everything that Jesus has come to overturn. That it's an image of how the world actually is. The broken human way of operating. Of the way that greed and the quest for power lead to an increase in injustice. To those who have, more is given. To those who do not have, even the little they have is taken away. Does that not sound rather like inequality in our world? An increase in violence. Throw him out where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Bring those others and slaughter them. Whereas the kingdom of God, in so many ways, is an upside down version of the kingdoms of the world. In which the poor are raised up and the powerful thrown down, as Mary told us, as we will no doubt listen to in Advent in a few weeks' time. So let's come back to Zacchaeus. Because what happened with Zacchaeus in the story seems to me to be the change in mindset, the change in approach, the change in understanding that Jesus is pointing to as what the reign of God is really about. Because Zacchaeus's life up to this point has been a spectacular success. He's not just a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. He has others working for him, generating profit for him, which he has not earned. He's skimming cream off their profits and everybody else's. Not just the legitimate taxes, but also Just taking what others have earned and worked for, for himself. He's taken his position. He's done what the first servant in the parable did. Taken his position in the empire and used it to make profit for himself and for his boss. If a Roman governor had come to that town that day, Zacchaeus would no doubt have received that praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the Roman governor doesn't come. It's a different sort of king who pays a visit. And Zacchaeus, encountering Jesus, gets it. His work for the kings of the world, his loyal service to the empire, and all the rewards that he has earned through it is suddenly meaningless all the praise of the rulers, all the trappings of empire, all the wealth is nothing next to what he realises he has lost. Like Matthew himself, who I'm sure had sympathy for Zacchaeus. For Matthew himself was a tax collector called by Jesus to follow I've just finished watching the third season of The Chosen. I don't know if you've watched that. If you haven't, just do. It's wonderful, wonderful depiction of Jesus and the times he lived in. And I think in that TV adaptation, Matthew may be my favorite character. Nerdy, probably on the autism spectrum, often confused... And passionately committed to recording the story. And always willing to interrupt just to make sure that he's getting it right. I love for Matthew in The Chosen. And I think Matthew, the disciple, surely felt some kindred with Zacchaeus, the new disciple who had also got it when he encountered Jesus. And there are lots of stories preached about Zacchaeus as well, and most of them actually don't focus, fortunately, on the fact that he was short. There's lots we can learn about being followers of Jesus from Zacchaeus. There's a whole load around his character, his personality, his enthusiasm to see Jesus, his willingness to actually do something a bit stupid, a bit out of the ordinary, a bit ridiculous in order to see Jesus, to climb the tree. And Jesus' recognition when he sees Zacchaeus, that there is a longing in his heart for change. That this man who's been written off as a sinner and a collaborator, for that is exactly what he was, has something else within him. And that Zacchaeus' understanding that his need for God also means that there is a need for a genuine change in his life. That in response to the grace of God, he is willing to give up the power and influence and wealth that he had had. There's something in this story about Jesus' willingness to welcome this outsider, this reject, this person who had been pushed to the outside of society, pushed to the bottom Just as Jesus always welcomed the lepers, the foreigners, the women, the children. That Jesus' welcome of the outsider was not just for those who were outsiders through no fault of their own, but also for outsiders like Zacchaeus who had done it to themselves, who had gained the world and lost their souls. But for me, the story of Zacchaeus is mostly about what matters, about what is valuable, and about how we in the world make those judgments, and how, on the other hand, the reign of God makes those judgments about the way that we read the parable of the talents and assume that the person who gets the extra cash at the end is the winner how we read the story of Zacchaeus and assume that he must be the short man and Jesus the tall one about the assumptions that we make in the world about winners and losers, about value. And Zacchaeus teaches us about a radical reordering of value in the reign of God. Zacchaeus' story teaches us that value in the economy of God has nothing to do with wealth or status but is measured by generosity, by faithfulness, by repentance, by justice. Being a disciple of Jesus invites us to always reconsider what it is that we mean by success. Because it's obvious that Jesus' definition is very different to that of the world. And I suspect very often different from that even of the church. So maybe these parables could leave us asking that question What is. Success in the reign of God. Amen.